another APG podcast and we're talking to Bogdana Butner who is strategy director at Poke. Um, Bogdana always has an interesting take on things I think partly because she's not always worked in the UK. Um, she started off in Romania where she uh, persuaded a bunch of uh, British strategy people to go out there 10 or more years ago uh, and sort of created uh, a connection between the two communities uh, all that time ago. Um, now she works in the UK as I say at Poke um, and she's got fascinating answers to the standard four questions we ask. Um, I think you'll really enjoy this, I hope so. Enjoy! So we're going to start with uh, a question about a piece of work with a personal connection for you. So what's that? Something that, that means something personally to you? So I can caveat everything I say, right, with the, the, the thing that we've discussed, which is I am, I've worked in this country for a very short period of time, so I have a lot of references that people might not relate to. Mm -hmm. So I need to explain every piece of work. So there is a piece of work that I did maybe 10 years ago. It was for an insurance company. Actually, you might know the insurance company. It's in the Netherlands, it's quite big. It's called ING. And they had a life insurance product. And it was back when Facebook was just starting and you could do all the crazy. Remember when you could do crazy things with Facebook where you had the in-frame things? So we thought we're gonna make a palm reader because life insurance, future. So you, we're, we're going to make a palm here. reader, but we're yeah. going to make an, one that is powered by technology. So all you need to do is put your hand on the screen and the screen would actually read your palm and tell you your future and tell you if you needed insurance. So <laughs> we actually made this and we made this, we realized it was silly, but it, it was exciting to make the client bought into this. They went, yeah, why not? I mean, you know, if there's some sort of payoff at the end, it's not going to cost a lot. There's no data collection worries like now. So we made it and what happened afterwards was completely unexpected, which is I, we actually witnessed the, the power of, of how things go viral and we hadn't, we, there was absolutely no expectation that this thing was, was going to do anything. But it went to like 10,000 users and then 200,000 and then 500,000 and then 700,000 and it was happening in two, three, four days. The, the, the people in the code department came back to us and said, look, because everything was hosted on our service, it wasn't on Facebook. So they came back and they said, it's, look, it's going to crash everything because it's just going, it's absolutely snowballing into this big, huge thing that we cannot control. So after five days, we had to go to the client and we had to say, look, um, we have to stop it because people keep sharing it with their friends and everybody's doing it and it's going so fast that we don't have enough server power to actually sustain this. So actually our palm reader was so successful that we had to turn it off after about a week <laughs> because everybody wanted to read their future. In all fairness, I have no idea if it did anything for the brand, but it was the first time we, we were looking at the internet working and we were going, oh my God, I've, we've never seen anything like this. This and in Romania? This is in Romania. Yeah, this okay. is absolutely in Romania. And it's just, it, I remember we were just looking at the stats going up and Google Analytics didn't have real time back in the day. So we had never seen anything happening. You were looking at something that you kept having to refresh. And it kept going to thousands, hundreds of thousands, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And, and I, I had never seen anything like it. And to be very honest, I don't think I've had that, um, that thing happen to me since then. Mm -hmm. But it's the best thing that I ever saw. 
Um, irrespective of the fact that it did anything that was very short-lived, we witnessed the power of the internet in, in a magical five days, and then it was like, no, we have to shut it up, because this is not scalable, it's just going to explode and the servers are going to go down. What did you take from that? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a number of things that you learn. One, that we, no one, I, I don't think anyone is prepared ever, even now, for what the internet will hit you back with. I don't know that you, you release anything on the internet and you go, I know exactly what's going to happen. We know how it's going to work. And I think I'm going to talk, the other thing that I wanted to mention was when um, Fallon released the ad for Sony, for the one with the bulls, mm -hmm. um, I think it was Sony Bravia. And they, it, it was interesting because the same thing happened. I think that was for me the first example of before it was published of like convergence culture where you release an ad it was just an ad but then actually they did really smart things with it where people really liked the song so they linked to the song and then they did the making of and then there was this entire conversation that was amplified about the making of the ad and then what happened after that was they went oh we're going to do the second one the clown with the same kind of ooh countdown and it's coming and actually the clown tanked it wasn't really that great so you don't really know so that's the, the the first thing the second thing is even if you don't know you always have to be prepared for something to it, it needs to be you need to make it scalable and obviously the third thing that we learned was what did i mean we we had no idea what this did for the brand we had, we had no idea so when we talked to the client everyone was so excited but we but we were like okay we, we don't know if this was good for anything so you learn to be very responsible which which neither creatives nor coders like that much you go okay this is great it might do something really awesome but what does it do for us and that's the kind of question nobody likes to actually think about when you get all excited about oh my god this could be really good and i think that's why in digital agencies you have this kind of dichotomy of people who actually maybe don't want to make ads, they want to make something else because that actually could be great. Whereas an ad needs to have a very specific purpose and serve the brand that it's, it's made for. So I think those are the three things. Um, but it was, it was so much fun. It's the best thing I've ever done. Could, I think it's ridiculous. Could you, is there still evidence of it on the internet somewhere? Could you? I wonder, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's probably, so we, I ma we made it when I was working for advertising. You know advertising, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were, um, um, you knew the guys. So maybe somewhere on the hard drives of the agency, there is some sort of like the code for this, but you don't, you can't do iframes in Facebook anymore, so we wouldn't be saved anywhere. Right. Um, I wonder if there's, there's probably a case study on advertising's uh, website or somewhere in their credentials, so I could ask them to, <laughs> but it's just, it's just, it was so crude too. It was just yeah. like, so the palm thing and a, a scanning light. There's this kind of suspension of disbelief of, you know, it's nothing's happening, but people actually bought into it. So it was, it was Question two. Um, this is about a piece of work with an interesting backstory, something that people don't know. Not the case study stuff, but the <laughs> secret stuff. I don't know. <laughs> no, actually, well, I do. So I can, I can make it either interesting for people who work here, or I can, again, give you a lot of context. So, so, so okay, so but so here's what's interesting about this. Obviously, you, you work a lot of your career in a smaller market that looks up to what happens in the UK. So what happens is that you build. There's a mystique around how things are made. 
So we watch White and Kennedy ads and Fallon ads and nobody knows how they're made. Nobody knows what the brief was, but you hear these stories. So, and one of the biggest stories that was, so I'm going to tell you this story first and then I'm going to tell you a backstory about an ad that was interestingly made here before Romanian. Um, the biggest story that I, that we had, or maybe you can confirm this. There was a, a White and Kennedy ad for Nike coming out, I'm assuming coming out of Portland. It was with basketball players and they were doing music with the, with the basketball. Mm -hmm. And the story that we had heard, and we were fascinated, but how is this happening? Was that actually there was a, a, a creative director in the agency who was into music and he was working on Nike. So he came into a meeting and they were, the, the presentation they were doing had, was kind of tanking. They could tell it wasn't really working for Nike. So he actually stood up and he pitched the concept for that video live in the room and went, look, I have this idea, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into music. So what I'm thinking is we're going to do this thing where basketball players, they do music with the balls and the client bought the thing in the room and then they made it. So that's the story that was being discussed back in the circles of planners in Romania um, about the Nike basketball. Now, is that true? Do you know? <laughs> How do we find out? I don't know. Because so, that would be an interesting backstory because I don't know how that happens where somebody stands up in a room and they go, I have this idea, I'm into music, and the client trusts that person so much and trusts the agency so much and sees the value of a piece of work they haven't seen any script for, any uh, storyboard for, and they go, yeah, let's make it. And then it becomes like one of the biggest ads that they've seen, you know, millions of views on YouTube, everybody talks about it. That's really interesting. So I was working at Widen in Portland at the time. Okay. But, <laughs> but on Microsoft, I think. I think this was before I was working on Nike. And it was a real, I mean, the agency was really split, sort of jocks and nerds, basically. Mm. And, and they were the heroes, and we were just the people making the money. The story I heard, and have told ever since, I don't know if it's true, is uh, a variant on that. So the creative director was a guy called Jimmy, Jimmy Smith. The story was in the agency, internally at least, was that actually what had happened is they sold uh, a bunch of scripts with a load of athletes, a uh, load of basketball players, it was being shot, and that, but that Jimmy had this idea for this other script um, featuring the music and stuff. He'd had it all the time, and that while they were shooting the other stuff, he got them to shoot that in the background, sort of, sort of, you know, when when nothing else was being done, blah blah blah. Because and when you think about it, that sort of it wouldn't be that hard to do. It's just a few cameos mm -hmm. of athletes and then getting it re-edited yep. and blah blah blah. Um, and that when they then came and presented all the subsequent work, they presented the stuff they were supposed to shoot, which was fine, and then they presented that spot, and everyone said, "That's the one." That's awesome. Just show that. Just play that. <laughs> And again, the story that always got told was, you know, they basically threw away millions of dollars worth of production and concentrated on one thing that they knew would be good, which was a very, at the time, a very Nike-like thing to do. It's like, okay, that thing works, get behind that. I have no, that was the story we always used to tell. Wow. I have no idea if that's actually true. And that's true. why you get into advertising. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you go, oh, look at these stories. I have no idea if that's true or not. But I have a, um, a counter story with a different learning about a piece of work. And again, I don't know why it's, it keeps on going to White and Kennedy, but White and Kennedy did a bit of work for Orange Germania right. way back when. 
Um, that work continues to the day. It's so it's so it's been so successful that it's. I think they've been going on eight years with the same. It's, they've created these two tiny white characters, and they're called Millage and Doig. Um, but they're not really cool Millage and Doig because in Romanian I, they don't wouldn't make, necessarily make sense. But they they, they they share a mouth. They're they're absolutely delightful. But what I think people don't realize is because you go, okay, so why would you go to a UK agency? What would they know? So what I think people don't know is when they were making this idea, what the people of Wine and Kennedy did was they actually, and the, the reason I know is because I was one of them. So they hired people who were Romanians to consult them on everything from what kind of music do Romanians listen to, but not, you know, good classical music, tell us that like the shittiest, most horrible stuff that gets heard, to what kind of clothes do people wear, uh, where do they go on vacation, what do they like to eat, so I spent, it was very, it was very weird, I spent about a week when I was at school here, um, going into Wine Kennedy and um, talking to them about, oh, so here is the latest pop hits from Romania. This is who this person is, Andrea Balan. She's crazy. She's like the Britney Spears of Romania. And these, this is what the lyrics say. This is what people go, this is the fast food that we have. This is what kind of clothes you would wear. This is where you'd buy them. And then even crazier things like humor, what makes people laugh? And I find that incredibly um, uh, enticing because the the attention to understanding, okay, but what would make people laugh? Is it slapstick comedy? Is it the kind of drier, weirder humor that we have here? Is it what happens if people actually like uh, puns and word games and things like that? Because these, these characters are not going to have, they're not going to be able to speak. They're going to have a mouth and they're just going to make weird noises. So it was absolutely incredible for me to watch these people just listen to me and try to understand what they were like. I was showing them YouTube videos and try to understand what was happening. And then when I saw the, when I saw the campaign, I went, mm, I'm not really sure exactly what I did helped with this, but it's absolutely compelling. And mm -hmm. it's been so successful. Those characters are entrenched in popular culture right now. So that's an interesting backstory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, presumably that came about because you, when you were in Romania, made an effort to reach out to the rest of the world and say come and talk to us well I'm, I'm not sure that that's the case but I think it's more I know I don't think so I think it's more a credit to how people how actually the kind of work that goes into a good idea mm -hmm. into um, it, it you know in, in contradiction to let's shoot something behind the scenes and just edit it together and then it's better than anything else which to be very honest it's it, it is a result of talent but it also seems like it's a bit of a accidental genius this was so much work. I remember they had rooms and rooms of photo, uh, photographs and print screens of things that they were annotating. And I thought, oh my God, mm. it's not, you don't walk into this industry and you go, well, I'm just gonna sit around in my, in my fancy sneakers and think about things. These people are actually doing hardcore work. They're trying to understand culture of, of a people where they're gonna just produce a 30 second something with two little animals. And 
they they made it work and we could see that again presumably we could find that online. oh yeah you can find that online everywhere you can i mean you can buy like fluffy toys millage and Joy fluffy toys they're they're pretty famous they're some of the longer lasting like i don't know what it is that you that in the uk has been so long lasting because i can see the meerkats everywhere mm. but this is like the meerkats in romania they're they're absolutely huge everybody loves them millage yeah. and Joy. kids brilliant. like to play with them that's brilliant yeah excellent all right question three so what's What's a piece of work that you think deserves more attention? Something that's unregarded, that should be more regarded? Oh, this is, I'm going to give a very controversial answer. So, and this is talking about what we were just talking about before we started recording, which is, I, I think that people, maybe not people, maybe people outside the industry, not so much, but people in the industry have a tendency to disregard this formulaic type of ads, for instance, the stuff that you would do for beer. You know, like if you think of Foster's ads, Foster's ads, they've, they've been almost the same type of formula since forever. It's the two Australian dudes and they talk to a British one. And um, I think people don't understand enough how hard it is to get to a formula that works. So I think we have a tendency to speak a lot of times about the black swans you speak about the gorilla and you speak speak about you know I asked on Twitter um, what kind of ads do you remember and it's interesting that people answered in two ways they either answers with these weird outliers like everybody said um, Jonathan Glazer's surfer ad for Guinness and okay but I'm sorry you're not gonna be able to just put that on TV but weirdly enough all Almost everybody also quoted something that you looked at, like the Ambongo ads, and you go, okay, why? And you realize that there is some inherent value in this repetitive formulaic way of doing ads that people get used to. They immediately goes into your into the back of your brain. You can't get it out of there. And there's these two extremes, um, and we tend to spend a lot of time wishing to make more of the surfer ad and very little time talking about how hard it is to make these and how potentially more successful they are in the long run. I mean, nobody likes to say, oh, MasterCard, the famous everything else, you know, this is priceless for everything else that's MasterCard. Everybody goes, well, yeah, but they've been doing that for 10 years, blah, blah. But it works. They found a formula that somehow works with everybody. And whether that formula is a jingle it's so hard to make a jingle that people like i'm sorry but i mean if you look at the the battle of the aggregators you know confused and it's so hard one of them has landed on something that's really working the other is maybe not not that much so i'm a big fan of understanding how formulaic advertising works and why some of them are so successful and some of them are really not yeah, i mean yeah. i used to work i used to work for beer for a very long time and beer had this very clear cut, it's a gregarious product, you drink it with mates, you always drink in a social environment, you always have to see the pouring shot, it's, it's very set in the way you do it. And there were so many beers back in Romania, and it was very hard for each of them to actually find a group of mates that would catch on. Mm -hmm. And actually at the end of the day, there was only one that was able to actually put together a group of four men that repeatedly appeared on TV and people went, yeah, yeah, I like those, uh, those, those lads. 
it's weird, but everybody tried. And it, it was, it's in the casting of the actors, the chemistry that they have, mm. the kind of stereotypes they portray. Because I think Foster's ads, they work in a way where it's not, it's not embarrassing for any of the characters. I mean, they're all stereotypes and cliches, but it's not in an embarrassing way. It's not embarrassing that the English dude has to call Australian dudes to ask them very commonsensical questions. It's everything is funny and somehow they've picked the right actors. And I know this is where I, I you know, I know this is going to be very controversial, but I go, how do they do that? Because you can go wrong with this very easily, yeah, yeah. very, very easily. We work with a client uh, back in Germany and we looked at their brand tracking. And for some reason, sometimes when we pick certain actors, the, the, the communication uh, appeal drops down. It's all of these things. Decisions are really important. So that's interesting. I That's like that. I yeah, it's very good. <laughs> very good. Uh, last question: What's the piece of work of which you're proudest? Um, I've, I'm recent, so I've been involved with um, with a client for the past three and a half years. Um, they own the brand Bodyform in the UK, and the same brand, the, the master brand is Libres, but they they have different names in different markets, and they work with AMV and ourselves and. They've been doing some really, really cool work around this idea of, you know, there's this whole, you know, kind of female empowerment and femvertising and all of that, which I think is, is starting to get a bit of a weird tinge when you say it. But what they're doing, I think, is quite interesting um, around getting women to feel a bit more confident about talking about some of the some of the issues around um, uh, around their kind of intimate areas and things like that and it's really hard to even talk about it because we we say the v words a lot but it's hard to talk about it everywhere which is weird yeah. and i think it's um for me it's been first of all it's i'm proudest because i've had the chance to get involved in these topics in a way more meaningful way than i thought i would uh, you know, because you deep down you go, surely I'm a feminist, I support the cause, I do things. But actually, with the kind of research that we're doing and the kind of work and the kind of conversations you have with these clients where we can go in and we can go, you shouldn't use that word on your packaging. It's just not okay. It just sounds really weird. And the fact that you have a client that comes and says, okay, fair enough, we'll have a conversation about this. Um, and we're doing things like, I mean, this is what we're doing now is, for instance, we're reviewing all of their websites um, and social assets just to make sure that we're not saying things that just sound weird. Because there's a backlog of tens of years of, of articles having been written. Yeah, yeah. And you go back through the stages of, I don't know, awakening and you realize, holy crap, five years ago, wow, it's not, it's not working. Um, and I think I'm, I'm actually excited to be doing this because I realize that everything that you do has such a great impact. Just to give you an example, we, the, the local band, Bodyform, they have an absolutely amazing team and we, we gave them some stuff to post. And we got picked on by their community on Facebook because they said you used the wrong word to describe a certain part. And you realize just how important it is to actually not make any mistakes and to give um, women exactly what they need to hear in the right way. Um, and you have to be very careful and you have to be very aware. And, and you suddenly go, God, this is just, this is, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to sound horrible and go, oh, this is more than advertising, it's changing lives. But it is a bit more mm -hmm. because it becomes a wider conversation. Somehow this product and this brand has become enmeshed in a wider conversation. 
And you have to be a bit more aware. You can't just go, well, it's just an ad, let it go, it's okay. You have to go, no, no, we're sorry, you're right, we'll change it and we'll look back to see if we've made the same mistake. So I'm actually quite excited to be, to be working with these guys. Can't wait to see what's coming up next. That's great, yeah. excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank <laughs> you.